Welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast, interdisciplinary conversations about new works in the broad world of business research. I'm your host, Andrew Jennings. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing with others who might like it too. And if you have ideas for future episodes, let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our guest today is Jonathan Arbell, professor of law at the University of Alabama. We'll be discussing his article, Payday, which is forthcoming in the Washington University Law Review. I'll link to the article in the show notes for the episode. Jonathan, welcome to the Business Scholarship Podcast. Andrew, thank you so much for having me on your wonderful show. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you on uh, to talk about a topic that is always on folks' mind, which is when is payday. For most folks, payday is going to come on a bi-monthly or an every other week basis. Sometimes it might be monthly, sometimes it's weekly, but other frequencies are pretty rare. It's rare to get paid daily. It's probably even less common to get paid every other month or once a year. My initial question to you would be, has it always been that way? Great. So maybe just to get us started, a little bit of context for this question. And so as we think of American employees, we can think of, you know, I usually think of Dawn. She's a Walmart employee. She works there five days a week, eight hours a day. And she gets paid every other week, as you mentioned. And she has to wait until her payday. But when she goes home, she needs to buy groceries. And she needs to have the money today. And it doesn't help her that she will be paid in the future. So she needs access to cash now. And Dawn and many people like her turn to providers of short-term credit solutions. So credit card companies, payday lenders, pawn shops, many different options. And what happens there is that typically people borrow something like a little bit less than $400. And they have to pay back that amount plus typically $55. And if you convert that to an annual percentage rate, the amount charged by payday lenders is roughly somewhere in between 400 to 600% APR. That is 20 or 30 times more than you will be charged by your credit card company. But people need access to money because the payday is only in the future, and they need some way to, to create a bridge between now when I need the money and the payday. Okay, so right now we live in this, I would call it the magic economy where I can go online and buy things on say Amazon from someone I don't know across the country and transfer payments immediately. I can go on AliExpress and I can buy things from China and just instantly transfer money. Yet in the same magic economy, we have American employees waiting for weeks to be paid. So this is the motivation for this project. Why, how can we have the same edge economy, these two things? Now, you asked a little bit about the history of that. And to understand where the payday comes from, we need to understand the employment relationship and the employment contract itself. Uh, And so in the paper, I talk a lot about how we start seeing the payday emerge as we start seeing capitalism grow and become more common. The history of the payday goes a long, long way back. In the Bible itself, we find the idea that people should, employers should pay employees at the end of the day and should not delay payment beyond a single day of work. 
So we see that in the Bible itself. And then as we go in history and employment relationships become more and more common, we start seeing the modern payday emerge. Looking at the history in England, the 17th century, you find growing indications of people being paid not at the end of the season, not piecework only, but also uh, on a weekly basis and sometimes on a daily basis. That's a 17th century England. Move forward a little bit, the 19th century United States, what you start to see is that factory workers are being paid on a regular basis on a payday, which commonly comes every month. So we have this long and difficult history of the payday. And what we find is a very interesting moment at the end of the 19th century, when labor starts organizing, workers start demanding, saying, listen, we need to be paid not every month. We need to be paid more frequently. We need cash. You know, we have liquidity problems. And at first, they meet a lot of resistance from legislatures and from courts. But eventually, they win the day. And Massachusetts is the first state to enact a weekly pay law that now all employers have to pay on a weekly basis. And this law spreads to other states until sometimes in the beginning of the 20th century, where we go back to what we currently have today, which is the bi-weekly pay. That is, that people are being paid every other week. And why is it? Why did we move from weekly pay to bi-weekly pay? There is some speculation. It's not entirely clear. One reason is that because of the rise of the welfare state, there are just so many deductions and withholdings you have to take out of the salary. And it is very difficult to do when you're using early 20th century technology, right? You have to calculate all your wages by hand. You have to transfer money to your employees. You have to make sure you made all of the deductions. And that becomes very expensive to do if you do it on a weekly basis and not to mention daily basis. And so we see employers pushing back and saying, listen, we shouldn't pay more than more frequently than bi-weekly. This is the birth of our modern payday institution, the beginning of the 20th century. So in the article, you discuss the rise of more formalized employment relationships, and you point out that every employment relationship entails two employment contracts. And we might typically think of there being one employment contract, but you identify two, which you call K-1 and K-2. Could you tell our listeners what these dual employment contracts are, what they mean for employers and employees, and how it kind of plays out in real terms? When we think about the employment relationship, we typically think about this very basic transfer uh, exchange between the two parties, between the employer and the employee. If we think about Dawn, uh, she's providing her time, effort, skill. She's cleaning the floors. She's stacking the shelves. She is greeting the customers. And she's selling her labor in exchange for capital, for payments from Walmart. And so this is how the labor economists would describe the essence of employment contracts. And in the paper, I say this is fundamentally true. It is a real aspect of employment contract. And I call it K-1. Because when you look at employment contracts today, and I think you mentioned that, what you see is that most American workers are paid a week. Over 60% are paid roughly bi-weekly, 
and over 10% are paid on a monthly basis. And so what you have here is another added layer to the employment contract, to the K-1 exchange of labor for money. You have an agreement where I provide services today for value in the future. And we tend to classify agreements like that as a credit transaction, right? And so I say, really, the employment contract consists of K-1, labor for money, and K-2, credit transaction. And what is very puzzling about K-2, about this credit transaction, is that it is really not standard. When you look at the theory of finance, the argument is that loans create a lot of value by allowing people to smooth consumption. I can buy things that I need, anticipating that I will get paid in the future. Loans allow me to seize opportunities, invest in profitable enterprises. But this sort of value creation is created by transferring money from people who have it today to people who need it today. And Dawn, if you think about her, this is the complete opposite. She's in no position to be lending money to her employer. And so thinking about the employment contract as K-1 and K-2, a credit transaction, really helps us to see how weird this credit transaction is and how we need to find the logic of K-2 not in finance, not in the creation of value through loans, but someplace else. In terms of locating the value of the K-2 contract, what justifications or explanations are out there that are presented in current practice? And what's been the role of law in affecting the existence and the, the nature of K-2? Is it a result of unintended consequences or something else? So I think this is a very productive framing of the question. So basically, in terms of the literature, the literature had not spent considerable time studying this problem. It received very little attention so far, despite the fact that the payday affects all American employees. So thinking about alternative reasons for why we might have the payday, in the paper, I go into behavioral explanations. I think about the economics of collateral and creating leverage against employees. I talk about other historical explanations. You asked specifically about legislation, and it is a very interesting feature of current labor law that it actually incentivizes employers to pay less frequently, right? So we would normally would want employers to pay frequently, but the way the legislation is designed It just didn't anticipate us being in the position of being able to pay people daily. And so it unwittingly incentivizes employers to pay less frequently. And it does so in in a number of ways, one of which is public sector employees are just by law being paid on a biweekly basis. Even the president of the United States is paid on a monthly basis. So we have a lot of legislation that simply states that certain employees should be paid infrequently. In addition, a lot of employees are salaried employees, and employers like to keep some of their employees as salaried employees because that means that they don't have to pay them overtime. Now, the thing is that if an employer wishes to have a salaried employee and the employer decides to pay this employee more frequently, say on a daily basis, automatically the employee is no longer considered a salaried employee. 
because of the regulations. The regulations say that if you pay p- people more frequently than weekly, they are no longer salary. And this is not intentional. It was not the intention to push employers to pay less frequently, but it is the effect of badly drafted legislation. In the paper, I talk a little bit about how even minimum wage laws may incentivize infrequent pay. So in this conversation and in the paper, you identify this problem around K2 in particular, and some of the justifications it seems you don't find to be fairly compelling, but you do talk about the technological constraints around calculating pay, about withholding, etc. Are these just baked in problems that we are stuck with? Are we stuck with the biweekly twice a month or once a month pay period? Or is there another way? And if there is another way, what would you propose and what might be some of its costs and benefits? So in the paper, I draw the analogy or metaphor. I say we have the hardware, but we have a software problem. What I mean to say by that is I just built a new uh, gaming PC the other day and I couldn't play any games, not because I didn't have the right motherboard or the right CPU, because I didn't have the right drivers. So I had to download the right drivers to get the computer to actually work. And so maybe this metaphor is helpful in seeing our uh, legal institutions today. We are fully capable in terms of hardware, infrastructure, of paying people on a daily basis. What really stops us is the way our software, our legislation is designed. And one of the biggest problems that holds us back is labor legislation. Because every time I pay my employees, I face two big problems, more, but two big problems. One is I have to make sure I comply with all the labor legislation that I'm not underpaying my employees. And the second one, I have to find a way to transfer money to my employees. So compliance and money transfer are big problems. And if we were to move to a system, which, as I propose, we are to pay people on a daily basis, that would pose an actual problem. But this problem is not an inherent one in our system. It's not a hardware problem. It really is a problem that emerges from the way we think about compliance. So we say every time you pay your employees, we will make sure you pay the right amount. But what if we could, in some way, divorce compliance from payments? What I propose in the paper is that every day of the week, the employer will pay the employees roughly 93% of what the employees owed for the day. That will be done every day. And then every two weeks, there will be an accounting day where the employer will run the numbers, make sure they have paid in full. And if there is any shortfall, they will pay the employee whatever is missing from their paychecks. And so if you compare it to the situation today, the same level of compliance, because today employers make sure they pay the right amount every two weeks. And under the new system, that will also continue to be the case. But the difference would be that the employer would be permitted to pay daily without risking the problem of not complying with labor legislation. So this is one way to pay people at scale to pay on a daily basis. A second problem that we have is how do you transfer money? Now, for people who have a bank account, this is not a big problem. 
because we can use ACH transfers, which are bank-to-bank transfers. They're fairly cheap. They're fairly effective. They're fairly quick. They're not ideal, but they get the job done. And so in terms of cost, it's, it's very plausible to pay people transfer money daily. Problems arise with people who are either unbanked or underbanked. And a large segment of the population doesn't have a bank account or rarely uses one. For people who are underbanked, we need to find a way to pay them because payment is extremely inefficient today. When we're giving people a check, they have to go and cash it somehow. And it's expensive and it's time intensive. And it's just very difficult to do if you pay people daily. But technology offers a very viable solution. Pay cards. Pay cards are fairly common today. We all know them from gift cards. Uh, These are basically cards that you can charge with digital money. Now, it may be the case that we need government involvement in creating better money infrastructure. So we'll have a system of pay cards that people don't have to use a bank account to transfer and receive money. But once we have this technology, and it's not some something outreach, it's extremely common today, we can solve the money transfer problem quite easily and pay people on a daily basis. What objections do you think we might see? Is this something that a business would oppose or that employees perhaps would oppose moving to a system like this? So there are a couple of possible objections to this proposal. First, when people hear it, they think it will be extremely expensive to pay people daily, so business will resist. And if we get, if we actually divorce compliance from payments, it's actually not going to be very expensive. I go through the numbers roughly in the paper, and it is actually very practical and cost-effective to pay people daily. And obviously, the savings individuals will get from not having to borrow money from payday lenders or other providers of short-term credit will be immense. So this is one advantage. Now, we start seeing businesses actually offering employees an early wage access programs. And I think you have Professor Catino uh, on the show, and she has this great paper, and Jim Hawkins has another paper on this emerging industry that allows employees to get early access to wages. So you see that businesses are really seeing the business case for paying people daily. So I don't anticipate much resistance from business there. Another concern that one might have is small businesses, because if we are to move to a system where you pay people daily, you can no longer use wages as a line of credit, and that may create difficulties for small businesses. But as I explained in the paper, we should not use employee wages as a line of credit. We have capital markets for that, explicit capital markets. And employers, even small businesses, can go and borrow money from capital markets. And capital markets have sophisticated lenders who can take security interests, who can price risk, who can monitor behavior. This is nothing like employees. And so... Even if it will make small businesses shift from borrowing from involuntary creditors, their employees to explicit capital markets, I think this will be a natural improvement. So these are two difficulties. There are others that are more nuanced, but these are, I think, the two of the big ones. 
Jonathan, what key takeaways would you like our listeners to have from this conversation? And are there any open questions that uh, you see that you'd like to address in the future or see other people address? So I think one takeaway is what one might call the indignity of the payday. We have this social institution with us. We don't reflect on the payday very frequently. Uh, We take it for granted. But in reality, it comes at a very significant price. And it is not a necessary component of our modern economy. And I go back to the point I made in the beginning about us living in this magic economy where we can transfer payments so fast and so effectively. And there is no reason for us to believe that the payday must stay. And I think one of the big takeaways here is that eliminating the payday or making pay more frequent is really, it's not a partisan issue in any clear way. It will make the American economy much stronger, especially with everything that's happening now. And it it makes business sense to pay people daily. And it is feasible and practical. We don't need some huge apparatus to get to actually pay people on a daily basis. So going back to the payday loan industry, you know, this is a huge industry. It's very difficult to regulate and to find proper solutions and ways to address the problems that emerge out of the payday loan industry. But one way to address the problems is to cut demand and make people rely less on payday lenders as a source of liquidity and give them the money they've earned as wages. Our guest today has been Jonathan Arville, professor of law at the University of Alabama. We've discussed his article, Payday, which is forthcoming in the Washington University Law Review. I'll link to the article in the show notes for the episode. Jonathan, thank you for joining the Business Scholarship Podcast. Andrew, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Scholarship Podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to the podcast or leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app, or let other people know about it too. If you have suggestions for future episodes, please let me know. My email address is andrew at andrewkjennings.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. Until the next time, I'm your host, Andrew Jennings.